You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Okay, parents, welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. I want you to do a little self-check right out of the gate and, you know, symbolically, metaphorically, raise your hand if you've said any one of the following phrases over the dinner table. Here we go. You've got to eat five bites before you can be done. No more sugar. No more sugar today. Or how about you can have that cupcake after you've eaten fill in the blank. Now, those are all common parenting phrases, parenting go-tos, if you will. And they're said with love by well-intended parents trying to promote health and nutrition within the walls of their own home. But what if we could stop the food fight? Say it in a different way, reframe it in a totally different context, and as a result, have a healthier food relationship as well as a healthier family relationship. When it comes to having good health in the home, exercise is certainly part of it, but food is the other, and it's a big other. With families, it sometimes feels like the kitchen is never closed, right? It's the busiest room in the house some days, most days. The pantry feels like a revolving door. So my guest today is encouraging parents to be the CEO, not the micromanager, of food at home. Bringing a refreshing straight talk to everyday eating, Mickey Eberhardt believes when parents interfere with eating, the more you see over the more you see overeating and sneaking food. Mickey is a registered dietitian, a mother of three. I've had the privilege of interviewing Mickey many times over the years, and you'll hear me say it, so I'll say it again. I always find her approach to be refreshing, really applicable, and the type of message that just makes sense. So as we dive into the topic of making healthier habits at home, I hope you too will find this conversation refreshing. Here's my chat with Mickey Eberhardt. Mickey, it is so great to have you part of Family Rules, the podcast, and I mean that. You have a way of approaching this topic that it, it, it's fresh, it's light, it just makes sense. I think I see that. I think I say that every time we talk. Like, what you say just makes sense. So I'm excited for you to bring that again today. No pressure. No pressure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> n- yeah. I'm a, I hope I can do my do justice to that. Live up, girl. Live up. When did when did food, eating, health, nutrition, when did you know this was part of your calling and part of your gift? I was always interested in it. I grew up as a dancer. And so it was always interesting to me. Um, you know, there's a little bit of heavy body issues that sure. tend to go on in that world. And I was always fascinated fascinated uh, by it. And I also was raised by an amazing mother that did lots of different diets. And so I was always interested in like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way that, you know, just feels better that it's not this battle all the time. And so I went into college knowing, knowing that I was interested in nutrition. Do you feel like in general, the way we approach food, the way we look at nutrition, at least it Uh, to me, it seems to always come from kind of a negative place. Like how can we fix it or solve it or change it? And and you approach it more from the positive end. Yes. I think sometimes we, especially as parents, you know, our intentions are so good. Like we're just trying to do the best we can. Right. But I do think a lot of times our efforts in trying to, Ooh, don't do that. Ooh, we need to do this. Trying to like feed our children the best or create the best environment or make the healthiest kids 
often backfires. Mm. And it's one of those things that, you know, I made, I made errors too, Brooke, you know, sure. knowing what I know I've evolved over time. And, you know, my oldest that's 14 now, yeah, she's going to, I've evolved in how I've, how I feed my kids, what I do with my kids. And so I think it's just one of those things as we learn more and as certain, um, ideas or guidelines resonate with you, you, you feel that in your heart and in your gut, and, and then you can move forward and, you know, change and do a little better and try something different depending on your kids and their personalities and all those kinds of things. Which totally and perfectly sets up this role that you're, encu- that you're encouraging parents to grab onto, and that role is the CEO of Food at home. If that was a job description, define it for us. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that require of us? Well, I think first, Brooke, it's important to recognize that kids on their own are incredible intuitive eaters. They do a great job of eating when they're hungry, letting us know that, and then stopping when they're satisfied. And, you know, if you think about how a baby eats, it's like the perfect example because a baby um, is not going to be like, hey, mom, I had a really hard day today. Can I have an extra serving of baby food, you know, they, if you've overfeed a baby, it comes back out, right? Yeah. So somewhere along the line, sometimes as parents, we become these micromanagers of our kids eating where again, it can come from just great intentions where, Hey, you need to eat five more bites. You know, if we're maybe feeling like they're not growing the way they should, or they're smaller for their age or something like, you know, you can't have you know, you can't have dessert unless you clean your plate or, um, you know, you've already had this treat today. You can't have that or just kind of these little signals that are feeling like maybe my child's a little bit bigger than they should be. And again, our intention is good. But what happens is that interferes with their natural cues, with what their bodies are telling them. And so when we disrupt these natural rhythms, that can lead to unhealthy attitudes and habits that are around food. So we want to take away the micromanager hat okay, and we want to put on the CEO. Okay. So more so kind with of, that, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a CEO is going to just have an overall role. Okay. And then our kids have a role underneath us and we let them do their role rather than telling him how to do it mm-hmm. and getting in, getting in, getting in all the nitty gritty. Okay. With now, you know, this question is coming before I even say it. And I will just openly speak from firsthand experience. What if as food CEO of my home, I have one employee, lover, Emmy, I love you, who only wants to eat, drink, live and breathe in chocolate milk all day, every day. How am I going to, as the CEO, maybe, maybe gently lead that employee along a different route? Yeah, this is this is great. And I'm glad you brought this up because Amy Girl, she's normal. <laughs> okay, good. That having food jugs as kids and even even adults will have them where you, where you find something that you just like and eat. What did over you call it? Over. A food jag? A food jag. Oh. Yeah, that's what they're called. Oh. When it's just they they're kind of stuck on one thing, you know? Uh-huh. I and mean, my kids went through, you know, chicken nuggets for every meal. Or I mean, they just have these things. And part of it is it's something that they like, uh-huh. they feel safe, Okay. and they probably like how it makes them feel. Okay. So we don't need to take it away, but rather it's important to continue to introduce other offerings so that they're getting exposed to other things. You okay. know, like she's going to learn 
if I only drink chocolate milk, I'm going to be hungry pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so let me, let me just give you an overview of the CEO. The parent's job is you get to decide, Brooke, what food you bring into your home. Mm-hmm. And from that, what I'm going to make for meals and what's going to be offered for snacks. That's okay. the CEO's job. Okay. Right. Kids get to decide then the kid's job is they decide what they're going to eat from what you're offering and how much. Mm. Okay. So you can offer, you know, you can offer here's some chocolate milk and here's also a sandwich and some apple slices and a cookie. I mean, like you could have the whole offering and you let them choose. And then they also get to experience the consequences, right? So if she picks only chocolate milk and doesn't want anything else, um, or, you know, is kind of just not getting, not having a full meal like you would like her to have, uh-huh. when it's, when she's hungry again, you can remind her, you know what? It's not, I, I, I'm not providing a snack yet. That's not, we're not doing that yet. But when I do, you're welcome to eat from that. Uh-huh. And maybe that's where you kind of stick in the reminder, you know, you might be a little bit hungrier right now because you didn't eat as much. Uh, you didn't eat as much for breakfast or uh-huh. lunch or whatever it may be. Yes. And it's not, I'm not criticizing. I'm not, I'm just saying, here's the consequence for what you chose. The next time we have that meal, if you want to have a little bit more, that would be great. Brilliant. See, just makes sense. As I said, brilliant. What if, let me ask another question from the parenting parenting um, ground. Yes. What if, you know, you talked about offering a variety of foods, the sandwich, the apple slices with the chocolate milk. What if I know, Mickey, like I know in my parenting heart of hearts, that sandwich is not going to get touched and everyone hates to waste, but am I still putting forward those options anyway as part of that training ground? Yes. Um, and there's some different ways to approach it. So what research shows is just having the um, exposure will eventually have your kid be willing to try. Okay. And so we don't want to limit exposure, even though you know she's never going to eat that. Okay. But that's where you can do things like um, cut it up into a fun shape or... Um, have her choose, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of making a sandwich. Do you think this would look good? This would be good on the bread or this would be good on the bread. Do you okay. think have her have buy some in. kind of buy-in? Yeah. Um, you could start like if she eats the whole concept, I actually have a son that doesn't like sandwiches. And so, um, I'll just do, what if we just did a piece of bread and a slice of cheese, you know, and I do them separate, mm-hmm. but no, like, He's getting enough in even like that. Right. Um, but also cutting up into small pieces. So they're even like having it with a toothpick that could be a fun way to smell it, lick it, see if there's something, you know, there. And yeah. eventually over time, they typically will start to try. I love it. But if you stop, you have to remember, if you stop, if you're like, I'm not going to do that, she's never going to eat it. Every, you know, if you, if you try again in a year, it's this brand new thing again. That's like, yeah, I'm not having that, but they start to get comfortable with it over time. A little bit of a conditioning, so to speak. That's probably the wrong word, but a food conditioning. Right. So the goal with kids, Brooke, like we do, we want to offer a wide variety of foods of all food groups because our goal isn't to raise a healthy eater. That's only going to pick fruits and vegetables and protein and would never have dessert or sugar, right? (laughs) Or chocolate milk. (laughs) Or chocolate milk. (laughs) What world is that? Yeah. Um, 
the goal is to raise a healthy eater that's a confident eater. And that's a child or an adult, actually, um, that you could give them a variety of food in various situations, and they're able to self-regulate the amount that they're going to eat based on how they physically feel, not based on what mom's telling me I should do or, you know, oh, we're never allowed to have that in my house. So they're going to go crazy and eat a ton of it. Right. You want to be able to consistently offer that variety over time. That is a good point. I think everyone can relate to. In fact, I don't want to throw any neighbor friends growing up under the metaphorical food bus, but I have a distinct memory of a certain playmate when I was growing up who wasn't allowed to have candy. And don't want to throw my mom under the bus either, but we were kind of the candy house, which to us was no big deal. It just was what it was. It was around. It was in bowls. It was in cupboards. We didn't think twice about it. It wasn't a thing. But for my neighbor who never had the treat on a Monday through Friday, it was a big thing. And every time she came over, our candy stash would be totally cleaned out. So that idea of offering a variety, I love that that concept of being a confident eater, both from kids to adults. You want to have confidence and control in the choices you're making. Right. That's exactly it. And, you know, a similar experience at our house, we had this neighbor, um, this little neighborhood gas station go in a few years ago. And it's like the fun thing for our kids to do with their friends is to go down to the gas station. You know, and I would never expect them to go in there and pick um, a banana and a string cheese, right? Like they're (laughs) going to go and get a treat. And the goal isn't to expect them not to want anything in there. But the goal is like if they go in, which they often do and get those um, ice cream shake things that you make at the gas station. Yes, yes. Is for them to, you know eat it, enjoy it, but stop when they're satisfied. And often what happens is that they'll come home with a quarter of it left and sits on the counter and I'm done. But what a different scenario that is. Like your example, Brooke, if my kids are told they can never have sugar or they're not allowed to eat treats unless I give it to, you know, just like structure in some way, some restriction, then what happens there is they're not only going to have the treat at the gas station. They may eat way more than they should. Mm -hmm. They likely do it in secret and they're going to feel bad about doing it. It's a shame thing. And what a different, yes. What a different place that puts a child in, in learning how to pick and choose what they should eat. So offering the variety, a lot of times we feel like as parents, like the parents that their kids never have sugar get some badge of honor. But the reality is we're doing them a disservice Mm. by not helping them learn how to self-regulate. I love that. I love that. We've laid some good ground rules and really in a, in a really well way to find this title of CEO of food at home. So parents are going to control the supply line, so to speak. Kids get to decide what to eat, how much to eat. And we, as the food CEOs, are going to offer a wide variety in all of the food groups. Mickey, I'd love you to get a little more specific about eating by age. Why is it important to know what to do at what age when it comes to food and eating and healthy habits? I think they foundationally can build on each other. And so as they start younger and you allow, you know, just kind of your tip with your, with your daughter, you know, like how do, how is she going to start to go from really just loving chocolate milk to eating a full normal plate of food as a bigger kid? Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. So there are some tips and tricks and little things based on ages that I think can offer some help to avoid, um, 
food fights. You know, yes. like there's that. Yes, <laughs> there was please. actually a study that was done, Brooke, that was out of the UK that the large majority of fighting in homes is about food. And I, that really surprised me, but didn't surprise me at all at the same time. Yeah, you I know? can see that. I can see that. So I think kind of learning, I think as parents, we sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves that if my kid isn't having a wide variety of food and the neighbor kid is, I'm doing something wrong. And so I'm going to really make sure they're doing what is they're supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. there's so there's so much leeway with kids. So... Let's start with the ages three to five, that age category. What do we need to remember from a principal standpoint in this younger age set? So this group, a great principle here is to offer choices. Okay. Um, just like it's easier for them to get dressed if you say, do you want to wear a blue shirt or a green shirt? And you let them feel empowered like they have a say. And maybe you, you as know, a mom, you're okay with the green shirt or the, the blue shirt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we're not in superhero pajamas, we're calling it a win. So <laughs> it can be, do, I, do you want carrots or strawberries? Would you like um, a peanut butter or a turkey sandwich? Would you like, you know, this or that? And, and I don't care either way. It doesn't matter, but the kid feels like, yeah, I got to say. I did So that's important. Okay. All right. What else? So for this group, we want to remember to just be patient. So kids at this age will hit various growth spurts depending on, you know, when when they're growing. And, And it's hard to know that if it's when they're three or three and a half or four, it's just very unpredictable. And so they can be ravenous one day where they may need a lot more food than they normally would or just nibble and eat like a little bird other days. And so as a parent, remember that's okay. And it's important to just let them decide what and how much and just let them do their part. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's go up by a couple of birthdays and look at the age group like five to eight, five to eight years old. What should we keep in mind? Yeah, so this one, I think it's important, this age group, they can start to be more interested in food and food choices. So planning meals with them or grocery shopping with them, which I That's huge. Get. That's huge. Because <laughs> like, did you hear my gasp? Age, yes. oh, it's in like grocery pickup, please. Or can I send, leave them with dad, please? And that grocery store becomes this reprieve. No, I get it. That's what I was going to say. It's a really hard ask yeah. for, for little kids. Um, but even maybe taking one in with you or the one that might be struggling with choices or maybe not be as confident of an eater mm-hmm. um, because they they are naturally more interested in eating meals and snacks that they have had some input in creating. So even what you could do is create, like talk about the ideas and you could even have them sit next to you as you're clicking and doing grocery pickup on the computer even, you know, especially now with, you know, all the restrictions and things like that. So just making sure like, they're going to be more likely to try a new fruit or a vegetable if they helped pick it out. And so exposure, again, back circling back to that, exposure goes a long way. So that could be things like, oh, do you think we should get red or green apples this week? You know, do you, which kind of berries do you think look better for, you know, to you? Or um, this looks like an interesting vegetable. Should we try it? Or should we just stick with the carrots this week? You know, and just allowing them to see and again, feel empowered, but that they're part of it. You also like this concept called Try It Tuesday. Tell me about this. Yes, I do. This is something that's kind of like it gives you a pass as a parent to, um, especially with super picky kids, to make a fun day out of being adventurous and trying a new food. So, you know, it could be something. This is actually how I got my kids to really like salmon was I just 
would have it on Tuesday and it was called try it Tuesday. And they'd look at it on their plate and be like, Oh, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) And I was like, well, let's try it Tuesday. We just got to give it a whirl, you know? And I would break it up with some other, like a fun recipe that was a try it Tuesday for a treat or other things to just make it fun and something they actually would look forward to. Even if maybe sometimes I surprised them with something I knew that they weren't really going to love. But it wasn't always just salmon is what you're saying. Exactly. Like just pair it. You want to pair the new thing with something you know that they will enjoy and will eat. So you're going to pair it with something they feel safe with, Mm -hmm. but offer something that's a new thing. And typically you can find lots of like, hey, what did we think about this? Should we have it again? You know, and just make it make it a, a, a weekly ritual. Try it Tuesday. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Try, try, try it, Tuesday. it on Tuesday. I imagine, Mickey, as we get into the age group of like 8, 9, 10 years old, and perhaps I'm just speaking from my female perspective. I guess not. I guess it applies. We want healthy body image across the gender board. But I have to imagine this age group, it starts to get a little more sensitive. They're aware of their bodies, you know, and, and health goes hand in hand with that. Yes, exactly. We start to get into the tweens. And it is, it's where they start to, their, their bodies start to go through puberty and they start to change. And so the best advice I could give in this group is don't freak out as a parent, you know, and, and don't like, we want to talk to them about lots of things and have great relationships and interactions, but please do not talk to your children about their, their body size, shape, weight, appearance in a negative way, because they will never forget it. I can guarantee you the the people that I see and that I've worked with, they go back to when I was eight and my mom didn't let me do this. And I was 12 and I got put on my first diet. And it's a hard thing to come back from when somebody that you know, you love and trust kind of makes you feel like you're not good enough. And that's a, and again, I know that it's coming from a good place, Brooke, where parents are like just trying to help them not you know, they don't want them to get made fun of, or they don't want, you know, they want to make sure that again, in the culture we live in, how highly we value the way we look is kind of sad in this regard. But Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that we only speak positively about what your child's body can do, create, play, serve, all of those things. You know what? It's such an interesting thing to think about because as you were saying, you work with clients and and individuals who still struggle with those comments that were made to them in those younger, impressionable years. I thought, oh, how sad. That's hard. Why does that hang on so long? And then you think, gosh, if we're considering the body as part of this mind-body-spirit connection, you know, and you're criticizing part of that, that trifecta, it's not like it's this extroverted behavior that I'm trying to correct as a parent. It's you. It's that person. It's 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 it's, it's it's who we are. It's what we see in the mirror. So it does become all the more important, right, to play it positive. Totally. Like this is a time when there's a lot of outside voices that can influence your child, sure. the way that they feel about themselves. And so we want our role as parents is to protect them, uplift them, encourage them not to demean or guilt them in any way. You say it's also a good time of life to start teaching those kitchen basics. And I imagine this goes back to kind of the investment. Like if they're invested, they're going to be more excited about what's happening on the dinner table. Exactly. Like if we want to create adults 
who know how to cook or are at least comfortable in the kitchen that they could follow a basic recipe. That doesn't happen overnight. And so building these basics with this age group, it can entice them to eat the food they created if normally they wouldn't. Um, it, but it builds confidence as well. Like there's something that there's pride that happens when it's like, I sure. made that and everybody's sure. eating it. So this can be, this is kind of like a grocery shopping thing too, where, you know, like we know it's a lot more effort to include a child in the meal making process. So maybe if it's less stressful to do it on a weekend or a night when you don't have lots of things going on, that might be helpful. But there are a lot of activities that these age groups can help with. And I'll just give you a few ideas like, um, like chopping with a paring knife or finding the ingredients as you read the recipe or measuring those ingredients or adding things to the mixer or, you know, making a sandwich or something like that. That's a good place to start and then build. So simple, basic and build from there. Exactly. Let's slide into age 13, age 14, age 15. You say this is where it really starts to become about feelings and emotion as connect, as it connects to food. Right. So this can be a time when kids are really involved in activities and school and sports and social things. And we want to help our kids focus on how they feel when they eat certain foods or meals or certain combinations of things. Okay. Because, you know, I have a daughter in this age group and she doesn't like to hear a lot about what I have to say. (laughs) What? Doesn't she know who you um, are? (laughs) But I think, again, I want to empower her to make choices based off how she feels. So if she's feeling like, you know, I don't have time for breakfast and just runs off with, you know, a drink of milk or whatever, chocolate milk. Let's come back to that. Um, (laughs) You know, then it's going to be like, how are you feeling at school come, you know, your third period class when you haven't had anything and are you having a hard time concentrating or do you have energy for your sports or things like that? So instead of, you know, saying that's a wrong choice, let's, what else could we add to that or prepare the night before? So you could still just grab it and run out the door, Mm -hmm. but you'll feel better about it. And Mm -hmm. so we're helping them make the educated decisions themselves based on their own deductions. Then that's a success. They're, they're going to continue to focus on how they feel and what they need versus, you know, I'm not doing that. My mom's making me do that. Right. Right. Even though her mom is, I mean, Mickey Eberhardt, come on. Her mom knows a thing or two about what she's talking about. I appreciate that. Really, really wise words. Let's go to this final age group of 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. At this point, there's kind of a preparatory pressure, right? Like we're getting ready to send them out to college and to the real world, whatever that next chapter looks like for them. How can we as parents make sure or, or hopefully try to ensure that those, those food decisions look as healthy as they can? Okay, so I think at this age group, we've kind of been building on top of things. You can enlist their help and have a teenager help make a family meal or a side dish, you know, have them have a day where they're not as busy and that will help them learn to follow a recipe and learn new cooking techniques, but it will prepare them for college and being on their own one day as well. And I think another thing that's really important with this group, Brooke, is um, they need a healthy body and they, and that, and that contributes to a healthy mind as well. You know, yes. our teens are dealing with a lot these days, and there's a lot that they can take a toll on their mental health. And sometimes typical teenage behavior, like, you know, staying up late and hitting drive through and being on our screens and eating junk food and stuff, that can only make matters worse. And so kind of helping them 
set their own goals as it relates to their overall physical health? You know, what could we do better? Do you think we could get to bed a little bit earlier? Or can, you know, do we need to pack an extra healthy snack for that sports practice? Or could we drink more water instead of the soda? Just helping them make those goals so that they can physically feel better. A lot of times there's not a lot of things that we have control over, but we do know that having a healthier physical um, and not just like the way you look, but, you know, focusing on your overall health really does help their mental health as well. Mm-hmm. You touched on this. I hope it isn't too much of a dial back, Mickey, but I, I can almost hear the parent out there saying, I've got the pickiest eater in the land. Like this is going to be a struggle from three to 17. They're just really choosy and opinionated and picky about what I'm putting in front of them. Any additional tips for that parent? Don't give up. Okay. Don't give up and try not to um, show your frustration to your child. Like I get, and honestly, there's nothing more annoying as a parent than to take the time and effort to make a meal or a snack and have your kid be like, I don't like that. It's kind of like the worst feeling ever (laughs) that you just want to, you know, come on kid. Yeah. But I think what's important is, um, finding a way to make it positive rather than a consistent negative experience. So if it's like, oh, you're so picky. How come you're never going to, you need to at least try, you know, like making it be this kind of domineering control, just ease off, just ease off and going back to being patient and offering the choices and saying, this is what's on the menu for tonight. There's nothing else. So if you're not going to choose to eat any of it, I'm sorry, but you might go to bed hungry. Mm. And then when they come back out in a couple hours and they're hungry, you can just say, I'm so sorry. Remember when we had that? That was the choice that you had. If you want to have it, here it is. But if not, then we'll, you know, we'll have something different for breakfast. And your child is not going to waste away going to bed one night hungry, but they will learn. They will learn that you're not going to offer 12 different things or always only do this, they just start to understand, okay, would I rather be hungry or maybe do I want to try that? Maybe it's not that bad. But again, there's no, there's no negative feel. It's just like, oh, oh, yeah, remember at dinner when you didn't have that much? Oh, see, now you're hungry. Yes. Yes. Let me ask you this in conclusion, Mickey. I'd love to know your take on the impact of parents as food role models. It seems like with every sound parenting topic or principle, and I have to imagine food fits into this category, it always amounts to this look in the mirror moment. Like I might not be saying anything, but what I'm doing says everything. Do you feel like that applies to food and health as well? Oh, so much, Brooke, like so much. And I get the gravity of that as a parent of our role, Um, you know, but I also think that it helps us see that our children are always watching. Um, I had an experience with my daughter. She was probably 12 at the time and she had some friends over and they were doing this cute service for a friend that was sick. And I was over at my desk, just kind of working it um, just right off the kitchen and they were making a snack. And they were saying things like, um, if we eat all of this, we're going to have to go and, and exercise to burn all these calories so we don't get fat. And then someone else said, oh, well, I'm not even, we don't even eat this at my house because my, my, you know, my mom's doing the certain diet. Or she said that carrots were bad. And I, I mean, just this kind of 
this conversation among all of them that was very much focused on, I mean, they're 12, right? Like we can't get fat kind of a thing. And Mm -hmm. I, I walked out there and I said, you girls, so I'm going to put on my dietitian hat for a minute because I'm a mom. And, you know, and I just had this conversation with them about, you know, our bodies are all shapes and sizes and they always will be. And we need to include lot and just kind of, you know, some of these talking points that we went over. And one of the girls, Brooke, said, do you care if I just record you saying this oh. and wanted to pull out her phone? And, you know, I think all of those, all of all of us, like we were doing our best trying to get yes. ourselves healthy yes. and keep our family healthy. But it's important to not put value and um, importance on things that aren't. Because that's what really our kids are listening and um, will influence them probably more than we know. Well said. And no mom's looking at their 12-year-old. I shouldn't say no mom. I, not many moms are looking at their 12-year-old and talking diet terms. But to that, that story perfectly illustrates what they're picking up, right, even when we aren't directly communicating that to them. I love that. Mickey, I just love your approach. Again, it just makes sense. That's going to be my, my tagline every time I talk to you. It just makes sense. Where can we get more health and, and food information and inspiration from you? I love it, Brooke. I'm going to need to change my tagline myself. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's the best compliment if it just makes sense. Um, I'm on Instagram at Nutrition by Mickey. I'm on Facebook as well, Mickey Everhart RD. But you can find my contact info there. Well, and I don't mean to play it off lightly. I do believe you have a gift, and it's a refreshing one, and one that's very needed, a voice that's very needed in this culture that we're swimming through. So thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brooke. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. Of course, the conversations that we have here are an extension of the kind of conversations we have on Family Rules, the television show, which you can review past episodes and past seasons on byutv.org slash family rules. And the conversations always continue on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram too. That does it for us today. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation helpful or inspiring, we invite you to subscribe rate or review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and we hope you're able to join in next time. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.